the volume. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Boxing with Chris Mannix is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there is a contest for every fan. FanDuel. More ways to win. This is Boxing with Chris Manning. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right, welcome back to another episode of Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network. We have got a great show, and I mean a great show for you this week. Kevin Ioli, senior boxing writer with Yahoo Sports. He's here, and we run through all the news of the week. It has been an incredibly busy week. You had fireworks at the Canelo Alvarez-Caleb Plant press conference. You have a huge heavyweight fight between Alexander Usyk and Anthony Joshua. And you have still some drama in the lightweight division. Teofimo Lopez, Ryan Garcia, Jojo Diaz, Devin Haney. What is going on with that? I get into all that and much more with Kevin Ioli. A little bit later on, Tyson Fury the WBC heavyweight champion. He is here and he is in a mood. Tyson and I talk about the delay in the Deontay Wilder fight. He has some, let's call it very choice words for Deontay Wilder. He talks about his recovery from COVID-19 and his thoughts on the Anthony Joshua Alexander Usyk fight this weekend. Fury, of course, has some skin in the game on that one. So stick around for that. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast wherever you download podcasts. All right, on to the show. All right, Kevin Ioli is here, senior writer, Yahoo Sports, friend of the podcast. A lot to get into this week, Kevin. We've had some uh, some drama. We've got uh, some drama at a press conference, some drama at a fight scheduled for next month. You've got Anthony Joshua, Alexander Usyk coming up this weekend. So I'm glad you're here, man. I want to start, though, with the press conference for Canelo Alvarez and Caleb Plant. I kind of had a feeling, Kevin, that this was going to be spicy. In the aftermath of the Oscar Valdez uh, positive drug test, uh, Caleb Plant has been saying some uh, pretty uh, incendiary things about Canelo, Team Canelo, Eddie Reynoso. And I did wonder if he was going to, you know, say this, say similar things when he was face-to-face with Canelo. He did that, Kevin, and... A lot more. Anything that Gennady Golovkin may have said about Caleb about uh, Canelo Alvarez a couple of years ago, Caleb Plant took it to another level. Like he said, "You're a cheater." He looked at Eddie Reynoso and said, "Your camp is full of cheaters." Like it, uh, it was pretty. Uh, it was pretty wild to see that. Give me your takeaway on Canelo Alvarez, Caleb Plant, the press conference. 
Well, you know, when I was listening to Caleb, it was like I thought he had Fred Sternberg writing his lines for him. You know, the, the famous publicist who uh, is known to stir the pot for a lot of guys. Uh, but, you know, I think I, you knew, I think you talked to Caleb uh, at the um, the fight in uh, Las Vegas, Pacquiao Uga's fight, where, you know, he, you know, he, he, he said similar things. And he had to, uh, I think, and this time kind of introduce himself and get attention by talking that way. Because, you know, if you're going to sell this pay-per-view, I mean, the boxing people know him, the, you know, the really hardcore fans know him, but the public doesn't know who the hell he is, right? I mean, the public at large does not know him. So if he's going to get attention and, and look at this fight and sell it, I think he had to do something. So I wasn't surprised that he, uh, that he did something, um, you know, I wrote a column the other day that I thought it was ridiculous on both of their parts, you know, Canelo first to shove him and then um, uh, Caleb to throw a punch back. But having said that, you know, I think it was predictable that uh, Caleb would, uh, would try to stir the pot and get Canelo upset. Yeah. Look, there's no easier way to piss off Canelo Alvarez than to call him a drug chief. I mean, when Gennady Golovkin and Abel Sanchez did that in the weeks and months before the rematch between Canelo and Triple G, you could see Canelo seething. And that manifested itself as well on fight night when Canelo took the fight to Gennady Golovkin in ways that no fighter up until that point had taken the fight to Gennady Golovkin. I get the same vibe off Canelo in this one. I mean, Canelo pushed him as like, don't say anything about my mother. That was ridiculous. I mean, even if Caleb Plant repeatedly called Canelo a MFer, that is not that is not an insult to your mother. I mean, as somebody pointed out on social media, uh Canelo said the same thing to Demetrius Andrade, you know, a few months ago. Like, it's not, you're not implying, you're, I can't believe I'm even explaining, like, MF or to, to the audience here. But we get it. Yeah, no, no, he, I mean, hey, look, English is his second language, so we, we give him a break, right? Well, no, I you mean, know, he, not, not really, though. Like, because, but he, Canelo knows that Caleb Plant is not insulting Canelo's mother. He's just, Canelo's know, using. Does he know that or not? He does I mean, we know don't that. know He that. does know that. He does, he knows that. He, he was, Kevin, he was just pissed off that Caleb Plant called him a cheater. And he was looking for any reason to do it and using uh, the language as an excuse to shove him and mix it up with him. I, I think well, Canelo is furious. Chris, 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 Chris. If he knew it, then he looks like a fool because he, he's making himself look like an idiot, right? So I give him a break because I say, you know, English is his second language. And even now, sometimes you interview him and you see him, you know, he looks to the interpreter, right? You know, to know, you know. Uh, he does, but like, I've done, I mean, I've done the last, what, four or five fights of Canelo Alvarez. He understands every word that comes out of your mouth. Like, he, he's, he doesn't uh, respond. Like, his ability to, to speak English is, is not as strong as it, it might be. But his ability to understand it, he's got it. He's most, unless you're speaking to him really fast and in long sentences, he's going to figure out, he knows what you're saying. I agree that he understands it. I agree. But I think, you know, you know it's an idiom, right? It's not, you know, it's yeah. not a, a word that's in the dictionary. And I, 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 I'm going to disagree with you. I just buy that he, he did not know. And I think that, you know, he, because otherwise he, if he knew he looks like an idiot and Canelo Alvarez is not an idiot, you know, I mean, and so, and I don't think Canelo, um, and the other thing that's important to note about this, and I, I know, you know, this, but a lot of the fans don't, if they didn't see the press conference, the, the uh, stare down happened before the press conference, yeah. right? So, so that was that was interesting because you know if you watched the press conference and you heard all the crazy stuff that uh, Caleb was saying, and then you would say, okay, that's building Canelo up, building him up, and then when they get to the stare down, he calls him an MFR and it sets him off. But this, there was no reason for him to be set off by that little insult, right? Unless he did not understand what it meant, because there hadn't been any other insults uh, up to that point. Yeah. I, I again, I just think Canelo is livid that that the accusations of him being a cheater have resurfaced. Caleb Plant is not saying anything that's inaccurate. Canelo in 2018 did test positive for clenbuterol. That is a banned substance. Canelo attributed it to tainted meat. Not everybody believed him. Golovkin and his team used that against him. Um, do, do let me put it this way: I think this is strategy on the part of Caleb Plant, or do you think he's just, you know, altruistic and, and is trying to eliminate drug use from boxing? 
I, I, I certainly think it's some kind of a strategy. I'm not sure what benefit is going to be. I don't think it's a good him. one. I don't think it's a good strategy. Uh, but uh, I, th I think it's, you know, he's, hey, look, you know, you and I look at it, and, and, and Caleb Plant said it during the press conference. None of you people believe in me. None of you people believe. Uh, well, that's, win. Kevin, that, that's the other part to all yeah, this. We too. don't. That's the other part, too. Like, you know, I, I'm with Caleb Plant on, like, the disrespect card, but he stood up there and he said something in back to back sentences where he was bragging about his performance against Jose Ustakagi, which was his best win to date. But Ustakagi's like not not even close to Canelo's level. Not in his prime, Ustakagi was not close to Canelo's level. And then he's kind of bringing up Canelo's Canelo being chinny because Jose Miguel Cotto clipped him eleven years ago. Kevin, I think we're on the same page. You've been to as many Canelo fights as I have. Guy's got as good a chin as anybody in and around his weight class. So I'm not really oh, sure he, where incredible. he was going with that. Hey, look, you know, he fought uh, 11 rounds with Sergei Kovalev. And, and, you know, Kovalev was toward the end of his career. But we know Kovalev could still hit at that point. And, you know, he took shots from Kovalev. He survived. He survived that fight. Canelo went tw 24 rounds with Gennady Golovkin, yes. one of the biggest punchers in boxing. And uh, not only didn't he go down, he never – Came close to going down, never wobbled. Never. So this guy has a chin, um, you know, uh, you know, and hey, look, when you're fighting Feigenbutz and Mike Lee and these guys, you know, guys you don't know. Guys. What a, these are D-level right, guys. You don't know what a good fighter is, right? And, um, you know, I think he's going to be in for, you know, hey, I, I'm not breaking any new ground here saying he's going to be in for a big surprise when, you know, all of a sudden he starts getting uh, pummeled by Canelo Alvarez. I, I thought it was, uh, it maybe foreshadowed the fight when after the Canelo push, Caleb Plant threw kind of this looping left hand that Canelo kind of blocked and then quickly came right back with a left of his own that clipped Caleb Plant uh, under the eye. Both these guys, by the way, are lucky that cut wasn't worse than what it was. I was texting with some people from Showtime that were out there. They were at that time were had their you know hearts in their throats there because they wondered if that cut was going to cause a delay in the fight. Seems like it's not uh, no. at this point. But one other thing Canelo said. Uh, at the end of their back and forth at the press conference was he's like, you're going to run, you're going to run, run, run. And I, I kind of believe that Kevin, like I, you know, everybody that gets in with Canelo, um, you know, they don't think he's a big puncher. They underestimate the speed and then they feel the power and they taste the speed. And all of a sudden they're moving and they're not throwing as many punches as they usually do in fights. And I have a sneaky feeling that Caleb plant is going to perform something like that. Yeah, I mean, is there anybody in boxing who punches better to the body than Canelo Alvarez? Uh, Ryan Garcia said that to me many times. Like he said, it's cartoonish the way that Canelo throws body shots. It's just, you know, and, and I mean, it, you know, it's those are debilitating punches he throws. And, um, you know, so that's amazing. But, you know, just to mention one thing, Chris, about the stare down, you know, you said you were texting with people from Showtime. What really got me, and I wrote this in my call, I'm like, where was Tom Brown? He's the promoter of the event. Yeah. Um, you have to have somebody there. The reason that they're there is not to take freaking pictures. It's to make sure something happens. Now, you know, when Canelo starts to shove, you know, you can get in between there and you can at least block it. You yeah. maybe can't, you know, but you can prevent the punches from coming and all the other stuff. Um, you know, and obviously Canelo's shove could have knocked Plant off the stage and twisted his ankle or cut his head or any number of things. But then the subsequent, the cut on the eye wouldn't have happened if the promoter was there. The other stuff wouldn't happen, and that that's just negligence. And I'm not sure what is going on, why why they're letting that happen. I mean, that was that was just gross negligence, and uh, it was kind of funny because I I had written that column uh, right after the event happened, and my column was posted, you know, late afternoon, and then that night Dana White went on and started ripping Showtime about the exact that. same. Thing. Yeah, so it was like. Uh, um, I thought I'm not the only one who I feels mean, that way. I, look, I think Dan is right. Um, when you have as much bad blood as has been between these two guys over the last couple of weeks, you got to take every precaution. And there were no precautions right. taken. Like, I'm with you. Like, once the shove happens, all right, maybe you can't prevent that from happening because you do want the intensity of a stare down. But once right. the shove happens, you need like five guys in between those two to make and, sure it doesn't and, escalate to where it escalated to. 
no doubt. And I think that that, you know, that has to change. I mean, they have, and you know, the thing is, it's also foreseeable, even if Plant wasn't saying anything, because this is his first time on the big stage and guys, you know, their heart rate gets going, their emotions get going. And sometimes, you know, you've seen it when, when the guy's in that position, he reacts like he doesn't normally react. And so, you know, Canelo is cool and, you know, Canelo is not going to do anything unless you, you know, you push him to a certain limit, you know, Canelo is not just going to push you to uh, push you, but, um, so I think, you know, that was another reason to have somebody there. But I think from going forward, I think that hopefully the promoters learn they have to have somebody standing there in between. And they also have to have security right there that will be ready to uh, grab everybody and get them away. I agree. I agree. All right. Let's talk about the absolute shit show that is Teofimo Lopez and George Cambosis. As we record this, Lopez Cambosis is still set, at least officially, for October 4th, which is a Monday, at Madison Square Garden. As we record this, Ryan Kavanaugh, the co-founder of Triller, he is trying to move it to October 16th at the Barclays Center. To describe this as ham-handed, Kevin, would be grossly underestimating. This was a fight that was originally scheduled for June, scuttled because Teofimo Lopez tested positive uh, for COVID. Can't do anything about that. But since then... This has, well, he could have done something well, about no, that. Well, no, I mean, but, but Triller couldn't have done anything about that. I mean, I, you know, it is not. what it is. Um, since then, it has been one public debacle after another. There was a potential rescheduling for the summer. Then Triller had this idea to do the fight in Australia. Then they put the fight on a weekday in New York. Then they, well, at first it was scheduled for October 5th. And then they're like, whoa, we don't want to go up against the Yankees and the Red Sox as if that's a real, I mean, that's another, I don't even want to have that conversation. They don't want to go up against Yankees, Red Sox. Then they move it to Monday, and suddenly they realize that there's a Monday night football game they don't want to go up against. Like, you couldn't have seen that coming, like, for the last four months or whenever the NFL schedule uh, was released. So, as I understand it, Kevin, and I've only talked to the Teofimo side on this, they're not moving it. Teofimo's in public with those comments. People behind the scenes have backed that up uh, to me. Our good friend Lance Pugmire, He's been reporting that this is going to move to the Barclays Center on October 16th. I think Lance is great, but I've I've not heard that. I And I have heard pretty steadfastly that the Lopez camp is basically willing to go to court to make sure that this fight stays on October 4th. And I don't blame them. Like, this has been one delay after the next. Um, what are you, what's your understanding about when Lopez Cambosis is going to happen? And what do you make of everything that's happened with Triller over the last uh, few months? To answer the second question first is total amateur hour. Yeah. Total amateur hours. They look like fools. And, uh, you know, the less attention we pay to them, the better after this fight, you know, that forget about them. But, um, you know, I, I think the fight's going to end up on October 4th. I think they have, you know, hey, look, they're going to alienate the garden in a big big way they've already alienated the garden i mean what they're doing with this uh uh music and whatnot they've already hurt their relationship with the people at the garden now they try to move it you know this isn't like they're moving it out of new york to las vegas they're giving it to the the biggest rival the garden would have competition yes right the top competition they have they're going to give it to them um and, and I mean, and then what are you doing to the fighter? This shows uh, ignorance of the sport. Here we are today. As we record this, the fighters are starting to get, you know, they're peaking toward October 4th. It's very close. They're getting ready for that. And now you're going to tell them, oh, now peak toward October 16th, change it. It's, you can't do that, you know, and I mean, it, and expect the fighters to be at their top. It, it, it is just complete moronic behavior, complete amateur hour. Um, and this is the company that's giving us 58-year-old Evander Holyfield in fights. Uh, Joe Fournier, whose opponents had some crazy record of, you know, uh, like I think a 25% winning percentage fighting a former heavyweight champion. And it turns out they were friends and having breakfast after the weigh-in. So when they fight, it's not a real fight. I mean, what Triller is doing is just, I thought on the Tyson Jones show, the production was good. And I said that. And that's the last thing I can say about Triller ever since, you know, since they've been in existence is that they're, they produced the Tyson Jones show. Well, other than that, it's just been a total shit show. Yeah, it has. And I wonder if they do stay in boxing and they do 
if they continue to get involved in purse bids to do legitimate fights, which I don't know if that's going to be the case anymore. Like, what do you do if you're a fighter? Like, you, you can't trust them. You, know, you can't trust right. them to put on a show in a timely manner. And if you can't, you're risking months out of your career. I mean, Teofimo had hoped to have this fight over with at some point in the summer, and then he could move on to another fight before the end of the year. He still claims he wants to fight twice before the end of the year when his child, his first child, is uh, scheduled to be born. Um, I just don't think you can believe or trust in Triller putting on events in a timely manner. I mean, I initially, Kevin, I thought they were great for boxing, great for fighters. Fighters get paid more. I love purse bids. Like, bring on purse bids. It generally leads to a good fight being made one way or the other. And if fighters get paid as a result of it, even better. But I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a part of me, I, I, I still, and I, when I talk to people about this, I still think there's a possibility this fight just defaults. Like, that they swallow the million-plus that they've put into it when it comes to the fighters and walk away. And then we'll see if DAZN and Eddie Hearn or ESPN and Top Rank, if they want to pick up this fight. I'm still not 100% sure, Kevin, this fight's going to happen. Well, I'll, I'll tell you something. You know, I had heard two, three weeks ago at this point, and, um, and I reached out to people at Triller and, uh, and Lopez – uh, that the, the fight would not happen. Yep. And I, I asked people at Triller and they denied it. It was going to happen, go, going to go forward. But you notice that they didn't put tickets on sale until, you know, it basically was two weeks before the fight or three weeks before the fight. Um, and only after Dan Raphael, uh, you know, put out a thing saying that the fight's uh, tickets weren't on sale. Um, so, yeah, I would not be surprised if it doesn't happen. You know, the thing is, they, you know, what Triller did too is, I think Dave McWater came up with a good strategy. You know, hey, Lopez was at odds with top rank. And he looked at it and said, hey, let's use the power of the purse bid to our favor. And they could have pushed a lot of fights to purse bid and had, had things happen because he's an undisputed champion. There's going to be a lot of purse bid, a lot of mandatories coming up. Mm -hmm. Now, Triller has messed that option up for fighters because who wants to uh, go to a purse pit and potentially get the fight promoted by them? Yeah, you make more money, but you're going to, you know, your career is going to be put on hold and Lord only knows what will happen. Yeah, uh, it's it's just a big risk to get involved with them at this point. So we'll see what happens. Got a week or so to go until the uh, scheduled Lopez Cambosis fight. All right, we are looking at a pretty significant heavyweight fight this weekend. Anthony Joshua defending his three versions of the heavyweight title against Alexander Usyk. Usyk, of course, the former undisputed cruiserweight champion, three fights into his heavyweight career. Uh, how do you look at this fight, Kevin? Joshua is the established heavyweight, but Usyk is probably going to be the most skilled fighter that Anthony Joshua has gone up against. I wrote this in my betting column the other day. Had I not seen Usyk fight Chaz Witherspoon, and I didn't know about that fight, I would have picked Usyk to win this fight. Really? Okay. I just, boxing ability is so good. But then I saw that fight, and it, I can't erase it from my mind. And he came back and redeemed himself to a degree against Derek Chisora with a, with a good performance. Not a great performance, but a good performance. And Derek Chisora, as we know, is no uh, slouch, but he's no Anthony Joshua. Um, so I, I really have a hard time guessing. You know, I picked AJ to win the fight because I looked at it and I said, you know what? I, and I believe you called that fight, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the Witherspoon fight. Yep. You know, I just think he looked comfortable with the size that Witherspoon had. And this was a totally shot, totally washed uh, Chaz Witherspoon, who really was never that great in the first place. And Usyk, I thought, even though he stopped him at the end of the seventh round, I thought he had trouble with him. And I, to me, that sent up an alarm bell to me. Now, I think Usyk, you know, you know he, he's a great defensive fighter. He's very smart, knows where things are coming from. And I, I love his offensive game. But is he going to be willing to take a risk that you have to take against Anthony Joshua? And given his difficulty with Witherspoon, I, I I just see, you know, Joshua probably, you know, winning a fight that could be an ugly fight. Yeah, I'm less concerned with what I saw against Witherspoon because, you know, watching that fight and calling it ringside, it, it did feel like Usyk, who was coming off a long layoff following that injury, it felt like he was carrying Witherspoon. There were a couple of times in the second or third rounds that I thought if he flurried and got when he had Witherspoon in the corner, he could have finished him. But he backed off, and I think he was trying to get some rounds in uh, for the in the early parts uh, of that fight, I'm more concerned with what I saw against Chisora. I mean, Chisora, what's he, 37, 38 now? 
he's basically a four-round fighter at this point. Like, he just runs out of gas before the second half of the fight begins. But during those first four rounds, he had success. Like, he used his size as an advantage and pressured Chisora in ways that, or pressured Usyk in ways that he's never been pressured before. And that's kind of what Usyk's going to have to deal with against most heavyweights that he goes up in. Usyk's right. not small, but he's only six foot three, and now we're in the era of heavyweights being like six six and above, like Joshua is. So I just wonder how he's going to perform against a big, strong heavyweight that has proven he can go the distance and be strong in rounds 10, 11, and 12. Hasn't had to do it very often, but you know, right. went deep, went the distance with Joseph Parker, has gone deep into fights against the likes of Vladimir Klitschko. Uh, I, Anthony Joshua is going to be in great shape for this fight. And if he starts to assert himself physically, I'm very interested to see what Usyk's counters are going to be. And to your point, is he going to open up a little bit? Will he take a chance or two to try to get inside and do something with Joshua? Because if if not, if he's not throwing the same type number of combinations that we saw with him as a cruiserweight, he has no shot against a guy the size of Anthony Joshua at heavyweight. You know, I, I wrote this in my column the other day. I said, you know, Usyk is the size of Muhammad Ali in his prime. Yeah. Six foot three, 115 pounds. But I saw the picture today that came out of uh, England of the press conference and the stare down that they did with uh, uh, Joao. And Usyk looked tiny yep. standing next to Anthony. Um, and I, I think, you know, he's going to have to fight a perfect fight. He has the skills to win the fight. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he's one of the best boxers in the world. And I think, you know, it's fair to say, you know, I don't think Canelo is a 175 pounder. It's probably fair to say from 175 pounds up, there's no better boxer in the world than, uh, than Usyk. Um, but having said that, you know, size is a factor when the other guy has talent. Um, and so Anthony Joshua is a talented fighter. You know, there's, he has his flaws, no doubt about it. Uh, I think Usyk, you know, if for him to win the fight, I think he's going to have to find a range where he can get inside, work the body, get out, then go down up and, and he has to change things. And he's got to make Joshua fight when he doesn't want to fight. I think that's a, a thing, you know, Anthony, you see him like, you know, he gets in that rhythm where, you know, he throws a combination, takes his, you know, time and, you know, gets his breath back another combination. And you got to, when he's trying to get that rest, you know, you got to be on him and make him fight. And you're going to put yourself in range when you do that, when you try to connect with him. So, you know, the Witherspoon fight is the one that scares me because, you know, you were closer than I was. You were right there on the, on the apron and you saw that, um, you know, I, my perception of it is he was having trouble with the big guy. The, the length that Witherspoon uh, presented to him, I thought was a problem. And, you know, that, um, you know, he just didn't seem to have the best game plan to, to figure out how to deal with it, that size. And it worries me because Joshua is, you know, superior to Witherspoon, of course. Oh, he's got to make Joshua uncomfortable in these early rounds. And he's got to take him out of his game plan and make Joshua go back to the corner after the fifth, sixth, seventh rounds and look at Rob McCracken and say, what do we have to do differently? I, I think he's got to try to build an early lead. I, I agree with you. You can't let Joshua get into any kind of rhythm. And he's been starting to do that at least in the two fights since Andy Ruiz beat him back in 2019. I mean, he was much more of a boxer against Ruiz, operating off that jab. Uh, he did knock out Kubrat Pulev, but it was a different type of knockout. I thought he was more um, cautious in that situation. So I don't think you can count on Joshua getting as reckless as maybe we've seen him at different points uh, in his career. And you got to be able to take that power, man. I mean, I've, yeah. I've eaten plenty of... Uh, you know what for saying Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher, but he is. He is a very good finisher, and if if he catches you with something, and Usyk's never tastes that kind of power, uh, he's going right. to be able to finish you off uh, one way or the other. Um, all right, I want to ask you about the lightweight division, which is really starting to piss me off, Kevin. It really is. Like this. This is your uh, new Demetrius Andre, it, right? It really is. It's just how many tweets do I have to read? from Devin Haney, Ryan Garcia, and Jojo Diaz basically calling each other names but not being anywhere close to making fights. I mean, these are three yeah. guys that are effectively under the same promotional umbrella. They all, Golden Boy has Garcia and Diaz, Haney's with Eddie Hearn, but they're all under the DAZN uh, umbrella. So these are fights that are very makeable, and yet... All this back and forth. Now, Ryan Garcia was at the Canelo press conference. He says he and JoJo are going to fight in November, December. Hopefully, that's true. 
The WBC, in its infinite wisdom, ordered, ordered an eliminator. Why are we doing eliminators after eliminators? I thought Ryan Garcia was, after beating Luke Campbell, was the mandatory. And now I thought JoJo, after beating Fortuna, was the mandatory. But this is the final eliminator. Okay, way to go. Well, this is the interim, isn't it? I, there, uh, so it's going to be another title? I don't know. Interim, the interim diamond. So the WBA starts getting rid of the interim titles, and the WBC comes back with them. Devin Haney's out there, like, waving his hands, going, I'll fight anybody, but... We need an interim title at lightweight. I, I'm just—I hey don't know if you were on this call, but let me just say this real yeah. quick. When before Lopez and Lomachenko fought, um, I know Dan Raphael and Lance Pugmire were on this call, and I don't remember if you were on the call with Mauricio Suleiman. And I asked him specifically about the franchise champion BS and what would happen after Lopez Lomachenko, and he said the winner of this fight will be WBC champion. Mm. Now we got Devin Haney as a WBC champion but if I take what the president of the WBC said I also have Lopez as the undisputed champion having the WBC belt and now we're going to have a third WBC champion if in fact these two guys fight that that's the craziness of all this well the Lopez Haney stuff is probably I mean I think it's all pretty easily resolvable like Diaz and Garcia should fight before the end of the year that's a good fight that's a meaningful fight that's a makeable fight and while right. Haney and Lopez are under different promotional umbrellas, that should be a makeable fight. And I say that because the WBO just showed the WBC what to do. Call for a purse bid. You have a franchise champion who you never intended to be the franchise champion. You didn't name Teofimo Lopez franchise champion. You named Lomachenko franchise champion. And you have a WBC title holder in Devin Haney. Order a purse bid. I think Teofimo has actually called for this. Haney, I'm sure, would be all for it. Order a purse bid. Let Top Rank and Eddie Hearn go at it. Lots of people make money. Everybody gets a big fight. I don't know why this isn't easy, Kevin. It should be so easy for Mauricio Suleiman and the WBC to get involved with the big fight by ordering a purse bid between these two guys. You know, I'm going to throw Ryan Garcia out when I make this comment. But when I when I look at Haney, when I look at Lopez, Jojo Diaz, um, uh, Gervonta Davis, uh, all these guys are willing to fight, right? They're all willing to fight each other. And yet the system of boxing is so messed up that it makes it hard to get these fights done. You know, I truly believe these guys want to fight, right? You know, you referenced uh, uh, Jojo going at uh, Ryan um, on social media. I think he's just frustrated. Like, what do I do? And I, and I believe that's true of the other guys as, as well in there. Um, and, and so I think this shows how crazy the business of boxing really is, that it's, it's standing in the way of what I think is the best division maybe that we've had in the sport now. I haven't given this a lot of thought, so I'm going to say something, but, you know, the best division of sport in the last 10 or 15 years. I mean, there's a lot of really good fighters, high-end fighters. Yep. That you, could I see Devin Haney being a pound-for-pound guy? And then, you know, you know, Teofimo already is. Some people think Gervonta is. I think Devin Haney has that kind of ability to not only be a pound-for-pound guy, but maybe be the pound-for-pound best one day. Um, I don't think Ryan and Jojo are in that category, but they're certainly very talented fighters, uh, very good fighters. So you're talking about a really deep, strong division um, with some other good fighters in there. And, and the mechanism that boxing has going on has just absolutely, uh, you know, obliterated uh, all the excitement about the, and that, that their fights in the division had created. I mean, this should just be so easy. You know, Ryan and Jojo fight in November um, whenever Devin Haney and Teofimo Lopez can get together via purse bid, you have that fight, then the winners fight each other. Like, this this should not be – everybody would get rich. Uh, uh, profiles would be raised. I think win or lose, profiles would be raised uh, amongst those fighters. And boxing is lifted in general. You mentioned Javante Davis. This is another kind of – this gets stuck in my cross, so to speak, um, with Davis. I, I just – look, he's going to be 27 years old in November – He's fought basically nobody in his career. I don't want to hear about Jose Pedraza and what a great win that was. I don't want to hear about Mario Barrios and what a great win that was. This is a electric ticket-selling guy with great power who has no resume to speak of. And I've said this before, on, uh, and I'll say it again. I do not believe Gervonta Davis, Davis's handlers believe he can beat anybody. I, I don't think they, they believe he can beat anybody with a pulse. Otherwise, they would be proactive about making him the kind of legacy fights that his promoter, Floyd Mayweather, as you well know, having covered Floyd's entire career, fought very early. You know, Floyd, before he was pretty boy, and, or rather before he was money, you know, kind of picking and choosing when he fought, 
He was fighting Diego Corrales. He was fighting Jose Luis Castillo. He was fighting uh, Chico Hernandez. You know, in his early to mid-20s, he fought some unbelievable fights. Today, Gervonta has fought nobody. Do not come to me. Do not tweet at me and talk to me about Jose Pedraza being this signature win. Do not talk to me about Mario Barrios, who is like maybe the sixth or seventh best 140-pounder that's out there. Don't talk to me about that being a signature win. From 130 right up to around 140, you have some of the best talent in all of boxing. It's not Gervonta's fault that none of these guys fight under the PBC banner. Most of them are with other promotional entities, but these are very makeable fights, whether it's on Showtime, on Fox, on another platform. I have not seen any real effort from the PBC side, Mayweather Promotions, to make a big fight with Gervonta Davis. And Ryan Garcia said this, Kevin. He's, he said it on Instagram uh, last week. He said, I don't think that Gervonta is ever going to fight anybody real. I agree with him. I agree with him. I think I, he might be like 30. He might be 30 before he takes a real fight. Let me, let me say, this is how I, I look at the situation. And I think, you know, look at the welterweights when how Al Heyman handled the welterweights. You had Terrence Crawford on one side, and then you had, you know, Spence, Thurman, Porter, you know, I guess you throw Ugas into that group. But, you know, the, uh, the welterweights that Heyman had, he would never let them fight um, uh, Terrence Crawford, right? It just stayed until there was no choice. And it was kind of, you know, hey, it's, I'm glad they're fighting. And I think that's a good fight that's been made. But it's way too late for that fight. That fight should have already happened. And, and the Spence Crawford fight should have already happened. So I think this is the strategy. You know, they want to build this guy up into this, you know, mo- you know, mythical monster. And then, you know, mythical being the him. operative word there, mythical being the operative word. Right. But, th- but that's what they want to do. They want to get it, you know, have 35 and 0 or 45 and 0 with 41 knockouts and just, you know, nobody can touch him. And then, you know, they want to, they want to score big on one fight where it's just this huge payday. I just don't like that, you know, and I think what happens in how you build fighters and how you really make money, you know, Al can take credit for Floyd. I don't believe that Al, you know, deserves credit for Floyd or, or Leonard for that matter. I mean, Floyd deserves no, Floyd credit did for- his own thing. Floyd did his own thing and he did it. I mean, look, he did it under the top ranked right. banner when he became a pound for pound type guy against those opponents that we talked about. Had him. I I think I was the first person to call Floyd number one pound for pound when he beat Corrales. Yeah. I had him as people had. I think had Roy Jones and some people had Shane Mosley at that point, and I had Floyd Mayweather, and that was two thousand January of two thousand one, and Floyd did his thing. So I, I think you know we have to discount Floyd, but we look at the, uh, our, you know just you know for this discussion and look at the way that uh, Mayweather Promotions and PBC has handled some of these other situations, and they want to make they want to get that one big score. And I think the way you have to do it is you know what go in there and fight a you know hey Ryan Garcia won't give credit they went on the podcast they were going to fight they talked you know, with Tyson they were they had that thing they were going to make that fight. Um, if you can get, you know, I think Gervonta needs to take those fights and get in there. And I, I, I would disagree with this notion that he's not good enough. I think, you know, he's, I think Lopez is the best of the group. And I think Devin Haney is probably the second best of the group, but you want to see them fight, right? I, Kevin, and Kevin, I don't, I don't, be, personally, I don't believe that Gervonta is not good enough. I'm just saying the way, I know what you're P, saying. the way PBC and Mayweather promotions are operating, they don't seem to believe he's good enough. They are not being proactive in putting him in big fights. And where, to me, this differentiates from kind of the whole PBC welterweight angle is like, while Gervonta is kind of alone on an island over there in and around that weight class, like Eddie Hearn's been very public saying Devin Haney is a, is a free agent, a network free agent. You think Eddie wouldn't take relatively short money or the short side of the stick to bring Devin Haney over to Showtime and have him fight Gervonta Davis? Of course he would. Gervonta can make a boatload of money fighting Devin Haney, but that's too risky for the promoters and the people that are guiding the career of Gervonta Davis. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I understand what you said. And I, I think there's a, a point to that, but I think the kid is a good fighter. And I think that the best way, you know what, if he loses, let, let's say you put him in with one of those guys, you know, whoever it may be, um, you know, Devin Haney, and he loses, you bring him back against Ryan Garcia. Yeah. And hey, you know, he, he's going to build himself up. But I, I think that, you know, I think he would be 
successful in a lot of those fights, you know, and I, I think it's, uh, it's a shame because you make him that much bigger and Sugar Ray Leonard lost to uh, Roberto Duran, but that didn't uh, diminish him. Did it right? No. It, you know, he I go down the list. All these guys lost significant fights. Oscar La Hoya lost significant fights. Shane Mosley lost significant fights. All these guys lost at some point. And I don't think like what Gervonta has now, the, the kind of star power, the ability to sell tickets and drive ratings, that's not going to go away. Like, he's still going, no, even if he lost to Devin Haney, he'd still probably sell out an arena in Atlanta or Baltimore or wherever because he has a core group of fans that love to watch him. I don't think this is the same thing as Mayweather, who was so, his popularity just really hinged on that undefeated record. And he he kind of marshaled that. He used that as a way to drive his fans. I don't think Gervonta is the same way. I think his fans want to see him because he's fun to watch. Like he is a really right. fun fighter when yeah, it comes the to TV. Fight, you know, Hey, look, that was an entertaining fight. You know, the Barrios fight. I, I mean, to me, it diminished Gervonta in my eyes a little bit, Chris, because I felt like Gervonta should be able to handle him. Now I know he went up and fought a bigger guy and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it diminished, you know, cause I don't think Barrios is all that. And Gervonta goes in there and struggles uh, with Barrios. But I, I think he's a fun guy to watch. I enjoy his fights. You know, he's not the greatest uh, promoter of his own fights. Uh, certainly, you know, you can't really get much out of him. But uh, I think, you know, he promotes himself in the ring. And I think that those fights need to be made. Of course they do. I mean. And, and by the way, let me say something else. Let me throw something else at you. Yeah. And, and you're, I know you work for DAZN, but. Aren't you appalled, by the way, that Eddie Hearn has promoted this Usyk-Joshua um, fight? Basically, no availability for Joshua in the United States whatsoever. I don't know if you were getting all the emails that they were sending out. You probably aren't on that since you work. No, I'm, on, zone, I'm but... on that. I'm on the uh, the media yeah. emails. Too, and so right? it was going to be Joshua was going to do an interview with um, Americans on Zoom last week. And it was like three different times or four different times. And this week, it changed about 10 different times. And he finally did it yesterday afternoon changing three times yesterday and you know you want to make this guy a star and you know and fight him around the world and you just basically ignore the largest market out there i mean completely asinine and and what and i i reached out to eddie hearn three times and when they said that they weren't going to do one-on-ones with joshua i said i want to talk to him please you know what we're number one in com score we're bigger than espn we have the largest website out there my platform is big in the uk and guess what? They didn't do it. That is just really short-sighted. And I, I think that that, need, you know, that needs to be called out too. When we're, if we're going to call out Mayweather Promotions, I think we got to call out. And, and I think Eddie Hearn is the best promoter out there today. But he, he really dropped the ball on this. 100% on, on look, every, I think every promoter, including Eddie Hearn, including Mayweather Promotions, needs to do more with their fighters. And, and to take it to another step, like if Joshua wins this fight against Usyk, he's probably going to disappear for like three months. Like there's no really striking while the iron's hot, so to speak, when it comes to boxing, they should be doing mass media interviews after the fact, continue to build on that momentum. Instead, they kind of, you know, hibernate for a while until they come back and they need to do media to help build up, you know, to satisfy their networks that, that they're appearing on. So I'm, I'm with you. There's a lot, that's a whole different conversation about boxing promoting and, working with the media that can certainly be had. But I mean, you know, to circle it back to, to Gervonta and like the, the lightweight division, it's, it's not even that's that division. Like, I mean, how many fighters out there, Kevin, who, who have fought once or not at all this year and with no fight scheduled. I mean, you got Jamal Charlo, Demetrius Andre. We don't even have to go back down that road. Cause that'll just give me a headache. Um, you know, Sergey Kovalev, Adrian Broner. Like there are like, th- these are popular fighters that have nothing on the books. At this point, how many times has Jerron Ennis fought this year? I mean, yeah, like he's scheduled to fight once, right? coming up. He's got one a fight coming up there, but I mean, like, what what happened to at least getting two in? Usually three. I mean, it's it's just crazy, man. Like, it's just this, this sport can be so self destructive when it comes to, uh, to to. If you watch the Ali documentary, what did you notice about the about the fight stuff? It was how often Ali fought in a given year, right? Yeah, and 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 I think you know when you're on the rise and when you're becoming the man. You need to fight a lot. You know, when you're making these huge paydays like Mayweather made and Canelo makes, you know, people can't afford to pay that multiple times a year. So you don't fight because of that. But, and the fighters don't need to fight more often than that at that point. But I think the guys at the level that we're talking, they should be fighting three, you know, three or four times a year minimum. And, and they just don't do it. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's crazy. Kevin, always good to talk to you, man. Thanks for joining me here on the show. And I think at some point we'll have to have like a, 
maybe, maybe something will happen in the next couple of months where it's like everybody's fighting each other. Javante's going to fight Devin Haney. Ryan Garcia against Jojo Diaz. Uh, Andre Charlo. If that ever happens, my head's going to fucking explode. But like that's uh, maybe we'll I have will one pick of you up. Off the I'll have the smelling salts in my pocket. I genuinely like I, I feel like whatever network that ever winds up on, like I have to be involved in some way, I'll, even like as like a cheerleader. Like I'll just, you know, I'll just sit there on camera. Just bring bob. HBO back and they're going to have Chris Mannix as the guy. I'll just for bob HBO. my head like this. I'll be like, yeah, Andre <laughs> Charlo, baby. Uh, Kevin, good to catch up, man. Thanks, brother. The biggest game of week three is the Monday night matchup between Philadelphia and Dallas, and FanDuel Sportsbook is about to make it even bigger because FanDuel is giving new customers 30 to 1 odds on either team to win. That means you could end the NFL week right by winning $150 on a $5 bet. Me, I'm taking Dak Prescott and the Cowboys all the way in this one. Don't like the Eagles this season. Rebuilding year. Dallas, Prescott, they get it done. Offers like this are just one of the many reasons I love betting the NFL on FanDuel. It is the number one rated sportsbook app in America. It's easy to use, it's safe and secure, and it has fast payouts. FanDuel is sports betting made simple, and they're always hooking you up with great offers. Plus, when you win, you'll get paid in as little as 24 hours. See for yourself why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. Just sign up with the promo code BOXING this week before Dallas takes on Philadelphia. You could win $150 on a $5 bet. Remember to use the promo code BOXING so they know I sent you. And if you are in Michigan, make sure you check out this week's can't-miss spread-the-love offer on the Michigan versus Rutgers game exclusively on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back. And joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests we are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Tyson Fury is the WBC and lineal heavyweight champion. On October 9th, we will finally get the third fight between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. That will take place in Las Vegas, and you can watch it on pay-per-view. Tyson, it almost felt like this fight was never going to happen, man, but it seems like we're on track. We're going to get it get it done. Yeah, we're on track not too long away now. Two weeks on Saturday. Looking forward to it. So this was 
postponed because you tested positive for COVID-19 a couple weeks before the July date. How are you feeling now? And what kind of, what kind of things did you go through as a result of that? I'm feeling good, you know. I've uh, been training about a month. Um, yeah, feeling good, feeling good. Were you, I mean, what kind of symptoms did you have to deal with? I've had COVID twice now. So I had it once back in maybe April or May of 2020, I'm going to say. Mm -hmm. And then I had it recently. So it was, uh, the first time was worse than the second time. But uh, mm -hmm. all the same, not a good, um, not a good thing to have. It's It's happened before, of course, where people have tested positive twice. But were you shocked that you tested positive after having had it? Yeah, I was pretty shocked because the fact that I was in Las Vegas for two months in Miami, I was in my uh, Las Vegas for, for a month, in Miami for a month, pre-training camp, and I was out every night mingling with everybody at pool parties, just everything. I was in shopping centers, bars, restaurants, hotels. Just I was taking, there was no masks, nothing, and I didn't get it. And then I was in training camp, locked down, and come down with it with two weeks to go. So quite crazy, but what can you do? Shit happens. Now that, I mean, you, you had no choice, obviously, because of testing positive, but you have a couple more months to prepare for this fight. Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. But uh, how, how do you look at the extra time? I didn't use it. I took a month off after I got COVID because I've been in training camp, say, three months before that. So I was already ready to go. So I didn't uh, take any extra time to prepare. Why do we need to prepare for a bum like Wilder anyway? I could fight him on three days' notice at fucking 400 pounds and still knock the pussy out. <laughs> do you, what a maker piece of shit bum fuckstick that's what Wilder is I don't even know if you can swear on this fucking interview you can I'm going all out <laughs> what uh, what what do you th what lie has he told lately that's bothered you I don't I don't watch interviews I don't do social media and I don't watch interviews so I can't get any negative stuff or any any bullshit story so whatever comes out of Deontay Wilder's mouth is of the last couple of years, been absolute dog shit. So, you know, crazy, crazy times. I'd, I wouldn't, I'd hate to be Deontay Wilder right now. He's mentally unstable. And when I put that final nail in his coffin in two weeks' time, it's retirement. Bye-bye, bitch Wilder. He used to be a gladiator. He used to be bomb squad, bronze bomber, the knockout man. And then he met the old fat gypsy king, bald-headed, ugly bastard. He put him straight in his place and knocked him spark out in seven rounds. It was the most one-sided heavyweight fight in history. I've never seen a more one-sided fight. But of course, I cheated, didn't I? I had knuckle dusters on in my gloves, for damn sake. <laughs> I mean, he has basically accused you of being maybe the worst cheater in boxing history. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel about that? I don't give a fuck because mental unstable take out on his face when I see him. <laughs> this time, though, I would like to um, please double check my gloves for knuckle dusters and knives before the fight because I have a terrible tendency for sticking two dusters on each hand before fights. It's terrible. <laughs> did, did that surprise you, though? Because you guys seemed like you were on kind of good terms after the first fight where... No, there was some respect there. And then after the second, he kind of goes all in on this conspiracy theory that you were manipulating your gloves and loading your gloves. I, I heard that I had... Did I have metal objects in my gloves at one stage? Egg weights. Egg weights. Egg yeah. weights. And then what else? I think I took my fist out the glove during the yes. fight and somehow managed to get it back in without anybody noticing. Not sure if that's even possible unless you're Houdini. But then again, who knows? It might be Udini. <laughs> when you can put a one-sided beat down on an undefeated heavyweight champion like I did, then I must be Udini. You told everyone that would listen during that happen? last fight week. And I, I was there. And I, I'll be honest with you, Tyson. I've covered you a lot over the years going back to your, you know, the Steve Cunningham fight in the U.S. Um, I didn't really believe you. I thought you were kind of playing a head game with, with Wilder. But you went out there and did exactly that. Do you have the same mindset going into this fight? Yes, for sure. I, uh, my mindset is knock him out. Um, there's no two ways about it. I'm as fit as a fiddle. I'm 270 pounds. I'm six foot nine inches tall, and I can fight all day. Mm -hmm. So 
there's no there's nothing else that I want to do apart from smash him into next week. And you know, if he's there and he wants a battle royale, get stuck into it. Let's do it. You know, he thought he was going to fight some a boxing guy who was going to move around the ring and get a points decision in America, but we all know that's not really possible, don't we? So you know, when you're a foreign fighter fighting overseas and you're fighting their champion, you got to put a beat down on that bitch. Because if you don't, you're going home with an L on your record. Or you're giving them a chance to give you that L. But I don't want to do chances because I don't want to lose. And I fight hard to win. And I've had a, a long career where I've been undefeated. And losing to me is not an option. So whatever it takes to win on the night against Wilder in three weeks' time, whether it's boxing and then knock him out, knock him out in round one, take it to him, whatever. The mindset is... Destroy him, smash him to pieces, even worse than I did the first time when I stuck my fingers in his ears with big sharp nails on and had nails. True, in too. I forgot about that one. When I, I forgot about that one. Had monocle dusters on and super speed boots with jet turbos on them. <laughs> do you feel like you? I mean, he had never lost before facing you. Yeah. Um, do you feel like you broke something in him in in beating him in that way? Yeah. At least Deontay Wilder was thinking in his mind, like, if he loses, it will be a good fight, uh, an even fight type of thing, and heaven forbid he loses, whatever. But to give him a one-sided beatdown like that, where he wasn't even involved in a fight, he didn't land any punches hardly in the seven rounds. He didn't Mm -hmm. think that that was possible. So he has to make an excuse in his own weak mind why that happened. And because he's got a load of yes-men around him, ask kissers then they have to make him believe that there was a problem in the fight and I cheated, enable for him to understand why he lost. Because let's face mm-hmm. it, this guy, 47 and 44 and 0 of all knockouts, he can't lose a fight, surely. So there has to be a reason. And with that mentality going into this fight, that's a recipe for disaster. I feel so sorry for him because if he would have had people around him, where he said, look, you got beat by a better man on the night, let's regroup, change a few things and get on with it. That would have been the best route to go down. In able to accept defeat and move on and improve, you have to understand what happened. You have to, you have to take in on board that you lost a fight and accept it to move on. If I'm an alcoholic, I need to accept, right? I'm an alcoholic and I'm going to get help. But if I say I'm not an alcoholic and I don't need help, how am I ever going to move on from it? So he's in denial about his defeat, which means he can't overcome it, ever. I think I know the answer to this question, but I'll ask anyway. He's got a new group of people around him, Malik Scott. He just brought in Don House, who has been saying he's going to be more of a boxer in this fight. Are you expecting anything different from Deontay Wilder? Um, It doesn't really matter because... Deontay Wilder's Deontay Wilder. He can't, he can't become somebody else. He's always going to be who he is. So it doesn't matter if you take Angelo Dundee, Emmanuel Stewart, Ray Arcel, Eddie Futch, bring them all back and let them train Deontay Wilder. He can't beat the Gypsy King. There's not, not a possible chance that he can beat me. He's always got a puncher's chance because you could always walk onto a big punch. But barring that, he can't win. Um, it's not about what trainer he has or what guys brought in to help him with his fitness or ever, anything. It's because I've got, I know what he's going to do. I've got his number, which means I can beat him. If we fought 10 times, then I'd win nine times and get a draw once. So that's how, mm-hmm. that's how it works. Oh, it's like your namesake once said, Mike Tyson. I mean, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. And then you, you were you revert back to, to what you were at the very beginning. And the thing, what he was in the beginning, wasn't bad. He had a 44-0 record. Mm-hmm. It was like, this is a good way to be. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to see what they do with him. Like, Are they going to make him more of a boxer? Are they going to make him more susceptible to being knocked out quicker? I don't know. But we're going to find out in a couple of weeks anyway. So uh, tune in. Have you got a... Uh, you came out in a throne last time for the fight. You got something planned big for this one? We have something cup our sleeve, but I'm not going to tell you because then it won't be a <laughs> okay. surprise. You know, it's, um, last one was great. Last one it? was great. The throne was pretty cool. Throne, Patsy Klein. It was pretty cool. Pretty <laughs> subdued. Cool. 
low-mooded entrance, typical Tyson Fury. Um, <laughs> we've, got some, we've got something nice planned, so I'm really excited to showcase it here in the capital of entertainment, in the world's capital. Um, I'm really looking forward to this, this fight, really. Cannot wait. I wish it was this weekend, but it's not. And I'm just going to have to enjoy myself over the next couple of weeks, enjoy my training camp, and, and gear up for, uh, for an easy victory. Well, this weekend is AJ Usyk. You going to watch that? Yeah, I'm going to be watching. I think live here at two in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think it's an interesting, intriguing matchup. Um, you got the typical uh, light, smaller cruiserweight moved up to heavyweight, and you got the big hulking heavyweight, strong, good body, all that sort of stuff. Um, Southpaw versus Orthodox, which is always awkward. I'm, I'm interested to see how he handles the smarter boxer, that type of thing. I, You can see this fight going a couple of different ways. You can see it going like... Well, you can't because I know AJ doesn't have the minerals to, to be able to perform to the way I would say beat AJ. So the way I would say to AJ to beat Usek is get straight on him, all-out attack, head and body, use your size and strength and get him out of there. But you have to have big balls to, to do that. And AJ doesn't have the stamina to, to do that sort of thing because if he does a sustained attack for two rounds, he needs four rounds to recover again. And, you know, it could be interesting. Everyone's like, hey, Usek's a small puncher and all that, but you know, I'm not so sure. All heavyweights yeah. can punch hard. The, the people that's troubled me most in my career are the light non-punchers. I once fought a Canadian champion guy called Nevin Pajek back in 2011. And he only had like five knockouts out of 16 wins. And guess what? I got knocked over. <laughs> Steve Cunningham had like Cunningham. Yeah. five or six knockouts in 27 wins. And guess what? I hit the canvas. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you underestimate these guys, heavyweights especially, they're all big guys. 200 pound plus, they're all big. They can hurt you. And one thing we've seen with AJ before is that he will quit in a second if he's under the pressure. He's like a, a cheap cushion that you get from a, a cheap shop. It just falls apart at the seams when it's under pressure. And that's what happens sometimes. And, you know, you could see that here. And if it does, it costs me like uh, maybe a hundred million dollars. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> no kidding. Like you gotta be, you gotta be rooting for him yeah, at this point. Listen, you, I'm rooting for him on, uh, on that's rooting for you. Night. That's yeah, rooting for you too. Yeah. Of course, <laughs> you, but... you, but you said something, I read something you said recently about like, you'll beat Wilder, then fight Dillian White before AJ. Why would you never do that? Right? Like what you want to go right to that payday, man. Like that big number. They're all they're all big paydays at this level, to be honest with you. Well, one's one's enormous though. One's I know, you know but like, you one. may you may as well collect all them little coins beforehand as well. Keep going. Yeah. I want to keep active, and um, we'll see see how I get through this fight. Uh, you, one thing I've learned about boxing is you can never count your chickens before they hatch. You've mm. got to do one fight at a time and get the victory, which is the most important thing, and then you can look at doing other other fights. With Wilder, he's a very dangerous uh, man. I'm not underestimating him. He's always got that knockout power. Um, I am very confident in beating him by knockout, but you never can underestimate a puncher like Wilder. So we have to take him very seriously, concentrate for however long we're in that ring and get the job done. And then I can figure out what I'm going to do. I'd like to fight in December if, if I'm able to, if it's like I'm injury-free and whatever. I'd love to fight in December. Um, but Dylan White's got his own little challenge ahead of him against Otto Wallin. Who's not mm-hmm. pushover? Who fought me and gave me a good fight? You know, big, he did. big southpaw, six foot five, got a good trainer. He'll have a great game plan. He'll really fancy the fight against Dylan White. So, you, know, you never can tell what's going to happen in the heavyweight landscape. You know, heaven forbid, but Wilder could knock me Spark out. Usek could beat Joshua, and Wallin could beat White. That's boxing. <laughs> Don't. Don't say that, Tyson. We can't. We need. We need big fights, man. Uh, we need I, big I know. Fights I know. Fights. But that's boxing. I'm gonna lose my mind. Yeah, yeah, you you never can tell with boxing. You're right. Stranger things have happened at sea, especially in the heavyweight. Much division. stranger. That's why people Much watch heavyweights because there's always um, a surprise lurking, banana skin. No, people. People need to see you and AJ in the ring in hopefully Wembley Stadium or something like that. Uh, you know that that needs to happen in uh, 2022. Um, last thing for you, you're. Uh, uh, I saw Jake Paul offered your brother Tommy a million dollars to fight um, him sometime later this year. Would you advise Tommy to take that offer? Um, 
I'd advise Tommy to take it if he was a bag carrier, a little cornerman or something, for Jake Paul, one of his yes men. But mm. tell me something, yeah? How much is a pay-per-view over here on Showtime? Uh, the last Jake Paul pay-per-view went for about 50 bucks. So 50 US. bucks. And they're saying he done, what, about a million views? Uh, yeah, give or take. He, he's doing good numbers. So they've done about a million views. That's where the guy, uh, a former UFC fighter, who's got like half a million followers or something. Yep. So Tommy's got a massive support in England. He's got four million followers. He's, he's a really big name. So he got a lot of pay-per-views from the UK as well. Um, so just say they did a million buys in uh, America and they did, I don't know, at five in the morning, maybe half a million buys in the UK. So why on earth would he take a million dollars to fight Jake Paul when just say there's like, I don't know, for easy reckoning, say there's $25 million on the table after, after the TV people have been paid. So unless he wants to take that million dollars and just be trapped like a piece of shit, basically... Mm-hmm. Um, then he wouldn't be taking the fight because it's not a fair split. That's for sure. No, I think you're right. I mean, Mayweather tried to do that to Manny Pacquiao for years. Yeah, I mean, know, it, didn't, it doesn't a flat happen. Fee. It didn't make sense. It's, you know, it should these, be splits. If these fighters want to fight each other and Jake Paul, I like Jake Paul and his brother. I like all this YouTube boxing. I think it brings a lot of um, eyes to, to my sport where I've come from being a little kid doing it. And, you know, all, most of the time of the last like 15 years, there hasn't been that many eyes on the game. People have gone off it because there's so many different sports to follow these days. But, you know, people like these YouTubers and TikTokers and everybody else, they bring a lot of eyes to the game, which makes it better for young boxers coming through, which, you know, everybody has a fantasy of being a fighter, don't they? You know, you see the movie stars wanting to do it and rock stars and everybody else. They all want to be boxers. They all want to be fighters (laughs) because it's probably one of the most hardest things in the world to do. So, you know, if you can do it and get paid to do it, then credit to you. No doubt about it. Tyson, always good to catch up with you, man. Looking forward to October 9th, seeing you back in the ring once again. Uh, Thanks for your time. Thank you. All the best. Take it easy. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Kevin Ioli and Tyson Fury for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And next week, I swear, we are going to find Sergio Mora. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at, at First, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound... Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.